Isn't it good to come and worship the Lord our God together this morning? If you're new with us and I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Nate Bowers and I have the utmost privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at Catalyst Church. And Pastor Josh asked me to step in and teach this morning, and as always seems to be the case when he does so, um, he assigned me this super easy topic this morning. He assigned me this super easy topic of parenting. Now, now parents out there, if, if you don't catch the sarcasm dripping from that last statement directed at Pastor Josh, well, we all know this. Parenting is hard, isn't it? All right, hands raised. Anyone out there who thinks that parenting is a challenging endeavor, raise your hand. All right, good. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Now, if you also think that parenting in today's world, it might even be harder than it ever has been, raise your other hand. All right, good. Good. We're in solidarity together, Pastor Josh. God, we surrender. We surrender, God. We need your help. We know it's hard, right? Even kids know this. I'm reminded of this story. Uh, a Sunday school teacher was teaching her class, and she asked the class, why did Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem with them. You guys remember Jesus got lost there? And this little girl in the back of the class, she knew the answer right away, so her hand shot up, and she said, teacher, they probably couldn't find a really good babysitter. We all know that. Finding a good babysitter is challenging, right? Or students, teenagers, I apologize for this one. Uh, but Mark Twain, the great author, he once remarked on raising teenagers, and he said this, when they're 13, put them in a barrel, nail the lid shut, and then feed them through the knothole. That was actually his advice. He went on to conclude his wisdom, though, and he added this. When they're 16, plug the knothole. <laughs> now, that's a little overkill, right? Although I do have a 16-year-old. He's back there in the back, and I've been tempted a time or two. I'm teasing, Max. I'm teasing. But let's be honest. I would also argue that it's much more difficult to be a child or a teenager in today's world. Pastor Josh has touched on the mental health issues that are impacting our children today at an alarming rate. We've got kids and teenagers today who are struggling. They're battling anxiety and depression. They're, they're fearful. They're not sure. They're victims of bullying. And all of this never stops due to the virtual world that we now live in. And I, parents, I know this. There's lots of you out there that are actively involved with monitoring and installing safeguards on the internet. But for the most part, at a ridiculously young age, we hand our kids one of these devices, and it's connected to them at all times, and they mostly have unfettered access to the internet. And parents, they're exposed. They're exposed from everything from pornography to the horrors of the war in the Middle East in real time on social media and everything in between. And it's a challenge, isn't it, to be both a kid and a parent today. But because we as a church have a mission given to us by God to love him, to love others, and to make and become disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to do the same thing with our kids. So let's ask God for that today. Will you join me in praying? Father God, we come to you this morning, and we ask you to speak. Father, I pray that the people hear your words, not mine. We ask for open ears and hearts to hear and respond this morning, Father. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word to empower us, not just as parents, but as a church as a church to disciple and nurture and connect our children to Jesus. Draw each of us close to you first, though, Lord. Help us to be more and more aware of your presence, and Father, help us to love you and to share your love with all of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the title of the teaching this morning, church, is Connecting Our Kids to Jesus. And since God's words are always so much better than my own, we're going to jump straight into Scripture this morning. And I'm going to be teaching from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this section of Scripture was known to the Jewish people as the Shema. And it was so very important to them that they prayed it every morning and every night. And it was so holy that they prayed it with their hands over their faces. Now, just to give you a little background in the chapter before this, chapter 5 in Deuteronomy, Moses had just revealed the Ten Commandments, or the laws and guidelines for God's people to them. And then directly after that, Moses gives what is really one of the greatest teachings on parenthood in all of Scripture. And he prefaces it by saying that your children, and then their children after, and for generations to become, if they follow and depend upon God and His laws, they will prosper and live forever. If we train and teach our children not to depend upon us or upon themselves or what they see or experience to define them, but instead they look to the one who created everything and will provide them true life and meaning and purpose. So if you brought your Bibles this morning or you can look on your phones or it's going to be up on the screens, here's what it says. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving to you today. Repeat them. Repeat them, church, again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, church, you might hear me repeat this a time or two this morning, but this isn't rocket science. This isn't overly complicated, but what it does require is it requires our intentionality. It requires our intentionality. You see, there's a difference if God is the center of our lives. There's a difference if we're looking to Jesus for direction and instruction and following his commands. We call this being Christ-centered. And if Christ is the center of your life, if you're loving him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, this is our first and our highest calling. And it's incredibly important, church, indescribably important, because we know this, especially in the early ages of raising your children, we have the greatest impact and influence upon their lives in that time. So what we want is we want God's truth on our hearts, and then we want to see that in our lives. So how do we do this with our kids then? Well, just like the text said, right? We're going to talk about these things over breakfast and then on the drive to school and when we come to the dinner table and before we go to bed at night. And I'm going to get into some more detail on this later. But when we're a Christ-centered family, God is not just a part of our lives. He's not an optional add-on or bolt-on to our lives. He's not just an optional feature, someone that we call only when we're in trouble. God's our whole life. So what's gone wrong? Where are we missing the boat? You look at kids and again, they're afraid, they're depressed, they're struggling, they're confused about who and what they are and where they're supposed to take direction from. Well, there's probably a lot of areas we're missing if we're really being honest with ourselves. But I'd like to hopefully help point to you some areas today where we can get better. And then in the process, I ultimately want to point us to Jesus where he'll give us real answers on where our true focus and our life should lie. So where are we missing the mark? Well, I would define it this way. We risk too little, we rescue too quickly, and most importantly, we model too weakly. 
Number one, we risk too little. And I could talk about a lot of ways that we risk too little, especially in this world of helicopter parenting and where we do everything for our kids. But what I want to talk about today is actually we risk too little in our discipline. And well, here's what I mean by that. I see a growing trend today where parents place their kids' happiness at the forefront above everything else. They focus on making their kids happy and they want to be their friend over providing instruction and discipline and guidelines in their lives. Now, I'm not going to trot out Proverbs 13:24 here. It's going to be up on the screen, okay, and make a case for corporal punishment. But I do want to highlight the second half of this verse that says that those who love their children are diligent to discipline them and teach them God's ways. Proverbs 1:23 says, if you turn to my discipline, then I will pour out my spirit upon you and teach you my words. Parents, let me put it this way. You are your children's coach. And we all know that a coach who doesn't instruct, who doesn't provide discipline, who doesn't correct wrong behavior, who only focuses on making sure that things are easy and fun and risk-free, well, we all know that that coach won't be very effective for our kids, will they? You see, they won't get better at their activity or their sport. They won't grow and develop into who and what they could potentially be. You see, a coach, we as parents, we aren't supposed to just help our kids feel good. We are supposed to help our kids be good. Now, guys, I'm not advocating that all of a sudden we as parents need to morph into Bobby Knight on steroids, okay? Our kids need our unconditional love first and foremost. They need that from us, and they need to be taught that about their father, God, too. One of the first verses I would actually recommend teaching to young children is simply an abbreviated form of 1 John 4, 8 that teaches us and says that God is love. God is love. They need to know that they are loved more than they can ever possibly fathom. And they need to know, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate them from God's love that is in Jesus. But however, in addition to this, and but, a big but, they need to know that they are not the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around them, and they need to obey not only you as parents, but they need to obey their Father God too. You see, church, the Bible actually has a lot to say about instruction and obedience. Obedience is an essential part of our Christian faith. Jesus modeled this for us himself. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.8 that he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. For Christians, the act of taking up our cross and following Jesus, putting aside our own wants and desires in the place of what he's asking us to do, means obedience. The Bible says that we actually show our love for Jesus by obeying him in all things. Jesus said this himself in John 14.15, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Somebody who calls themselves a Christian, but who isn't obeying Jesus, can rightly be asked, as Jesus did in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Parents, why? Why do we give our kids rules or guidelines, instructions? Why does God do the same? Well, he doesn't give us those rules, and we don't do that as parents just arbitrarily. He doesn't give us those rules to restrict our freedom. He gives us rules like any good parent to protect us and to help us experience true freedom and true life. He gives us rules because he knows that if we truly follow them, it will help us to be free, free from regret, 
free from shame, free from addiction, pain, heartbreak. I want you to think of a fish. Think of a fish as an example. When the fish is contained within the boundary, the protection of water, it is able to grow and develop into the fish that it's meant to be. But if a fish gets outside of the boundaries, the protection of water, no matter how bright or shiny it looks to the fish, what happens? It actually loses its freedom and it leads to death. Parents, I know this is difficult. It is hard to stick to our guns and to follow through and demand obedience from our kids, especially when they're not happy with us in the process, even if we know that this is what is best for them. But if our hearts are fully surrendered to him and we are doing what he is asking us, then we are tasked with instructing our kids in what is true and right and pure and holy. And just because everyone else is doing something doesn't mean that that's the right standard for our children. Most of the time, this is probably a pretty good indication that it's not. You see, there were a lot of things that my parents asked of me, that they instructed me in, that they disciplined me in when I was younger, that didn't make me very happy with them. In fact, I was very upset with them at various moments. But I now have the perspective and the wisdom to be able to look back upon that and actually appreciate that actually thank them for that tough love at the time. God does the same thing with you and I. Hebrews 12:11 says that no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It can be painful, right? But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in the way. This is the way. Parents, be intentional here. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 9, kids, I can't believe you didn't get that reference. That's crazy. Mandalorian? All right, we'll move on. So let's not get tired. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, secondly, parents, I know I've been guilty of this too. We rescue too quickly. And here's what I mean by this. We rescue our children from consequences. For instance, little Emma forgets to do her school science project. So what happens? Well, mom stays up until 3 a.m., finishing it up, right? And the next day, they win first prize at the school science fair. Or little Billy forgets his coat, right? So little Billy's all cold, and uh, he calls dad up, and dad runs home, grabs his coat, takes it to school. You guys know what our dads would have said, right? I can hear my dad right now. You forgot your coat? Well, you're going to be cold. I bet you won't forget it the next time, will you? Yeah. Guys, these are simplistic examples, okay? These are simplistic examples, but the point is, is that I want you to understand that consequences make for a great teacher. If we rescue too quickly and we rob our kids of consequences, then we're robbing them of great lessons in the process. I'm not saying, parents, that there aren't times where we need to give our kids grace, where we need to model God's grace and rescue from our sin. But if we as parents continually save our kids from reaping what they sow, they will never learn. They will struggle to mature. They will never learn to repent, to seek forgiveness, and ask how to make things right. And most importantly, they won't learn to depend upon God and his spirit for his grace, his forgiveness, his love, and help in times of struggle. So parents, let your kids struggle and fail at times. 
During challenging times, I ask my kids two questions. First and foremost, have you gone to God and asked him for his help and assistance? And then secondly, are you being tough, flexible, and optimistic? If so, you'll train and you'll help to have them have the same perspective that Paul has in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. Other translations here say perseverance. And endurance or perseverance helps to develop strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment before we know how dearly God loves us. For he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Finally, church, we model too weekly. And I just want to say to the parents here, if we are not serious about our faith in Jesus, if we're not modeling a sincere pursuit of living our lives under Jesus' instructions and for his glory, then how can we ever expect our kids to do the same? If the truth isn't in our hearts, on our lips, and evident in the way that we live our lives, how can we impress those truths onto our children? Because I want you to remember this, parents, when it comes to parenting again, especially in the early years, much more is caught than is ever taught. Much more is caught than is ever taught. We know this. Kids are the ultimate BS detectors, aren't they? They know when we're being real and when we're not. And they're amazingly perceptive of the things that they witness in their parents' unguarded moments. I'm going to share a quick story with you to illustrate this point. Um, and I just want to let you know, my wife she is not going to be happy with me for sharing this story with you. So the good news is she's not here with us this morning. She's traveling on a work trip out to California. So if you don't tell her, I think we're in the clear. Now, to my friends out there who are tempted, I know you are, just remember this. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> That's a joke, obviously, but maybe. But, but, but here's the story. Here's the story. So um, when Max was about three or four years old, Stacy and Max were driving down the road, and they were in a construction zone, and this really gigantic semi, double-decker semi, passed them by. And as it was done, Stacy breathed a sigh of relief, and she said to Max in the back, whew, that was a close one. That was a really big truck, wasn't it, buddy? And Max pipes up from the back and says, yeah, mama, that was a really big damn truck. Head whips around, all the parental responses. Where did you learn that word? What do you think it means? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as Paul Harvey would say, here is the rest of the story. And the rest of the story was that a day before, Stacy was cleaning up this gigantic mess that our dog had made in the kitchen. And unbeknownst to her, Max was playing behind the counter and overheard her as she was cleaning up. That damn dog, that damn dog. And being a three-year-old, he just automatically assumed that that word was just another adjective for big because we had a really big dog. <laughs> now, that's funny, right? That's hilarious. And I'm sure God had a chuckle at that one, too. But parents, I want you to remember, not only are our kids listening, they're watching us even more. You see, kids don't just become what we say. They become and model what they see. So where do we start? What should we do? How can we model better? Well, let's go back to the Shema in Deuteronomy again. I want to ask you some questions, parents. I want you to think about these. Do your kids see you prioritize and love God and commit wholeheartedly to his commands? Do they see that your life is actively being transformed by an intimate 
relationship with Jesus? Are they watching you seeking him through prayer and worship? Or studying and engaging in his word? Are you engaging as a participant in the body of Christ and in his church? Do they see you involved in deep growing relationships with others in a biblical community? Or do they see you prioritizing other activities? And God gets the leftovers when we have time or when it's simply convenient. Do they see you only being a consumer here at church? Or do they see you love and serve others both inside and outside these walls? As a Christ-centered family, do you talk about God and Jesus and faith and prayer and serving as a part of regular, ongoing, everyday conversation? Again, this isn't complicated, but it does require intentionality. And there are a myriad of ways that you can do this. Let me just toss out a few examples. First and foremost, pray with your kids. Guys, these don't have to be complex, long, hour-long prayers. These can be sentence, simple prayers that you pray with your kids. But pray with them at mealtimes, before school, at bedtime, in the car. Pray with them when they're sick, before a game or a performance or a test at school. Give thanks and glory to God when they succeed or seek his help and guidance in all things, big and small, in times of struggle and hurt or also times of great achievement and blessing and joy. A few weeks back, my daughter Mia, who's 12 at the time, um, she came home from school and Mia's been struggling with migraine headaches and so we've taken her to the doctor and we've got medication and some ways to help her with that. But she walked in the door and I was sitting at the kitchen table, I was working, Stacy greeted her at the door and I could tell she had tears in her eyes, she was crying and she said, Mom, I have a headache coming on. Stacy said, let me get you some migraine medication, a cold compress for your head, we'll turn off the lights in your room, let you lay down. But then she said something that caused me to look up and it filled my heart with joy. She said, Mama, will you pray with me and ask God for his help? Whew, church, wisdom from the mouths of babes. And that is the legacy, that is the spiritual leadership that my wife is providing. Because I was sitting right there at the table. She could have asked her pastor, dad, to pray with her. But she asked her mom to go to God on her behalf with her. Parents, remember this, who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. Parents, in the craziness of our busy lives, you know one of the best places to have these conversations? In the car. Think about how much time you spend there, driving back and forth to school or to practices or events. You have a captive audience, but I want to tell you what you need to do to be intentional about having those conversations there. You need to take their phones. I just might have heard a few gasps from the students over there. Students, truth bomb, phone in your hand or your pocket, it isn't yours. It's your parents. Parents, you are tasked by God with the resources that we have to direct our kids to him. And I want you to remember this. In all things, you're either training your kids or your kids are training you. I'll let that one marinate for a second. But you're in the car together. Listen to a devotional or a podcast the Bible Project puts out some really great stuff if you need a resource. Perhaps you listen to a passage of scripture together, or you discuss what their memory verse was from Sunday school, or you talk about what they're learning there. Perhaps you, they simply share some piece of good news. Weave God into your every conversation. Talk with them. Just talk with them. 
And if they share that piece of good news, maybe you say to them, wow, can you believe how God has really blessed you in that way? Or maybe they got a good grade on a test or they did well at a performance or a sporting event. And you say, that's great. You really honored God in the way that you studied or how you competed or how you played. You simply take any sort of normal activity and you create an environment where it's just natural to talk about God. Now, two other quick things this morning, and then we'll start to wrap this up. But parents, don't get your priorities out of whack. Your kids are a priority and a tremendous responsibility given to you by God, but they should not be the center of your universe. It's not healthy for them, and I most promise you that it is not healthy for your marriage. You play a role, we all play a role in a much bigger story. And one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest gifts you will ever give to your children is to love God by prioritizing your marriage over them. You see, our marriages are not just a reflection of the great love that Jesus has for his church to the world, but this shines the brightest to your kids. A strong marriage where Christ is the center and love between spouses is visible and tangible, provides security, provides stability to our children. And it provides an atmosphere where they can thrive and they can come to know God and his love. But when children question their parents' love for one another, they also have a tendency to question whether or not God truly loves them. Children come to know the love of God through the love their parents have, not just for them, but more importantly, the love their parents have for each other. If you want your kids to experience God's love, then be willing to do what it takes to fully and selflessly love your spouse like Jesus does the church. Now, there's a whole sermon right there, but I hear some stomachs grumbling already, so we'll uh, make this the last thing. I want to ask you some hard questions. What do you make optional for your kids? Parents of teenagers especially, is it optional for them to go to school? They just wake up and be like, I don't feel like going to school today. It's not very fun there. Heck no, right? Get your butt out of bed. I know you need to go to school. It's good for you and you need to learn. How about if they just don't feel like going to a, a practice or an event they have with sports or music, et cetera, et cetera? I don't think so again, right? We paid for this. You need to go to practice. You made a commitment to your coach or your team, et cetera, et cetera. So let me ask this question. Why do we, why do, we do the same thing with church? Why do we make church optional? Why do we make things that we do here at church or youth group optional? Why do we seemingly value their mental and their physical development over their spiritual formation and development? And I'll let that rhetorical question hang there for a moment. But here's what I want you to think about. While God designed you as parents to be the primary way that our kids come to know God's love, he did not mean for you to be the only people. There's a whole other sermon right here as well, but I want you to think about this. He has given us the church, our local community of faith to come alongside us, to encourage us, to care for us, to give us a place where we can worship, pray, learn, serve, and grow together and echo what we are teaching in our homes. 
Just as it is essential for you and I to be a part of the church, Paul tells us that we are all part of the body of the Christ and each one of us is indispensable. So are our kids. Not only for the good of our kids now and in the future, but for the good of the church now and in the future. So prioritize your involvement in church, not only because we are instructed to do so, but because, again, you want to expose your kids to other individuals who will shape who they become and what they believe. Here at Catalyst, we want to position you as parents to have meaningful conversations in the home based about what they are talking and learning about here at church. The church and the home aren't supposed to work in isolation with one another. We are supposed to work hand in hand in partnership. And I can tell you this right now, I would not be standing here today if it were not for the church that I grew up in and the multiple individuals there who invested in me, who poured into me, who instructed me, and who pointed and directed me to Jesus. Here's, here's the deal. This sermon is not just to parents. It's to all of us. These are all our children. And I don't care whether you're 18 or whether you're 80 years old. Each of us has a tremendous opportunity and, and responsibility to come alongside and mentor and point our kids to Jesus. When I was a freshman in high school, there was a young man named John. He was a recent college graduate, and he just started volunteering with our youth group. And he played college soccer, and I love soccer. And he took me under his wing. He would take me out to the field, work with me on various moves, free kicks, things along those lines. But as much as I love soccer, that's not what I remember the most about John. What I remember the most about John is that every time we got together after we played, he'd pray with me. And he'd talk with me about how important it was and tips for ways to hang on and hold tight to my faith, especially in my high school and my college years. My sixth grade Sunday school teacher, Joe, he worked for the Cincinnati Reds. He ran the jugs gun down there, the radar gun. Okay, and he knew how much I loved the Reds, and so he'd take me down to the game with him multiple times. I actually got to sit behind the screen once and run the radar gun. And afterwards, I got to go down on the field, and my childhood baseball like hero was Chris Sabo, and I got a signed autographed baseball from Chris Sabo. Yes, I had the rec specs and the flat top. It was cool, I promise you. Probably not. The pictures are not very becoming, but that's another topic. But that's not what I remember about Joe. What I remember about Joe, more than anything else, was his love for God's word and how he passed that on to me and taught me how to study it. In church, how he spoke prophetically over me and told, and he told me that one day God was going to use me to advance his church. I promise you, I could list so many other individuals who poured in me and invested me in my spiritual formation and faith and pointed me to Jesus. If you currently volunteer with our kids and our youth, thank you. Thank you. I also want to thank you for helping my wife and I, Stacy, point and disciple our kids in Jesus. My oldest child, Sam, he's a freshman at Lee University, and he's currently there following the calling in obedience that God has placed on his life, and he's studying pastoral ministry there. My 16-year-old Max, I watch him follow Jesus. He has such a servant's heart, and he models Jesus in that way, and he serves others most of the time when he's not getting any credit or no one is watching. I could list so many names here at Catalyst of individuals who have poured and discipled my kids. 
Chris, Joe, Heather, Mike, Rollin, Gene, Austin, Jason, Mama P, Kelly and Vicky, Marty. The list could go on and on and on. And my daughter Mia, you want to know where you've helped point her heart? Well, in my basement, a few years back, Mia got caught in the wind of the concept of man caves. And she said to me, Daddy, why can't I have a girl cave? So I said, okay. So I helped build her a girl cave down in our basement. And it's just an old bookshelf that my dad put together, an area where she can go down and listen to music and read and knit and crochet and get away from her brothers. But she has this sign up on the outside of her girl cave. And it says this, girl cave, no boys allowed except dad. And I love that sign. And I want to blow it up really, really super big and put it on the outside of my house now. Dads of teenagers, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? That's what I want to do. But I also went down there the other day, and I noticed that she had put some new decorations up on the outside of her house, on her gates. And this is what it was. Church, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for pointing and connecting my kids to Jesus. Thank you for pointing and directing every single child who walks through these doors to Jesus. If you don't currently volunteer with our kids or our youth, I would highly encourage you. Seek out Heather Webster, our children's director, or Austin Michaels, our student ministries director, and ask them. Ask them how you can help invest, disciple, mentor, love our kids, and point them to Jesus. I promise you, you play a critical role. Again, church, this isn't complicated, but it does require intentionality. So love God first with everything you have and then intentionally lead your families. It won't happen on accident. Prioritize their spiritual formation and lead first and foremost by modeling well. And you'll be successful. Not if your kids grow up to be a world-famous doctor and they cure cancer and win the Nobel Prize. Or if they become a professional athlete and they win the Super Bowl and they date a world-famous pop star, right? And I hope they do these things, especially if they play for the Bengals and win a Super Bowl, right? But here's the thing, church. These things, they'll fade away. They will fade away because they are temporary. They are not eternal. Jesus told us himself in Matthew 16, what use will it be if you gain the whole world but forfeit the true life of his kingdom that he came to bring? So parents, church, worship team, you can come on up. Expose your children, our children, to God's love, to the great truths of God. Teach them about his power, his goodness, his grace, his love. Model and show them the power of worship and prayer and the truth of his word. And with the indwelling of his spirit within us, he will empower and lead us, counsel us and guide us. And he will be our teacher as apprentices of Jesus as we lead and point our children to the one that if they become his apprentices as well, he will bring them true meaning and true life. Church, at the restoration of all things, When Jesus returns and all is made new and bright and good. After I climb out of the arms of Jesus myself, I want to find my wife. And then I want to find my dad and I want to hug him. And then I have this vision. 
I have this vision of my three kids, Sam and Max and Mia, and they're kneeling at Jesus' feet. And he says to them, he says to them, well done, my good and faithful servants. And then he takes them in his arms. And as he does so, he looks over his shoulder at me and he smiles and he winks at me. And then he turns them loose to run into my arms. And I hug them together in the presence of Jesus forever. Parents, love God and then point your children to him because he will bring them true life. The true life of his kingdom, not only now, but forever more. I promise you that. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you this morning as we draw close to you. I ask that you would so overwhelm us with your love that spiritual leadership and pointing our kids to Jesus would just be a natural reflection of what you are already doing in our lives. That it wouldn't be forced, but God, it would be a reflection of the power and the truth and the love of your Holy Spirit working in our lives. God, I pray especially for parents this morning. God, for single parents and those who are battling the struggles of divorce, for blended families, and God, for those who are praying for children for one day, or those who have been raised in dysfunctional homes. Father, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them and this church would come around them and assist them in leading and pointing our kids to Jesus. Father, I pray you would renew our minds. I would increase the anointing upon our lives to spiritually lead our children and those around us, God. God, we commit to doing our part to lead intentionally. And we thank you ahead of time. We thank you ahead of time for all the great things that you are going to do through us and through our children. We love and we give this all to you this morning, God. Amen.